If you will, turn in your Bibles with me. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23, that's page 20, if you've got the um, uh, ESV Pew Bible in front of you. Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in and out of the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we turn to this, your holy and infallible word, 
that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your covenant promises, Father, that they would become so clear to us that we would be overflowing with joy, even in the face of sorrow and difficulty, as is our lot in life. So let us keep our eyes, as John has prayed earlier, keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, a young man who came from a, a broken home was invited to a, a church event, a, a sermon, and he sat down in the pew and he heard about how turning to Jesus would address all of his needs, how coming to Christ would heal all of his wounds, how he would no longer feel pain or sadness, but only joy and peace. So the young man, in all of his pain, in all of his grief, he walked forward and makes a verbal profession of faith in Christ. And he's wanting all of that uh, accompanying change that's been promised. But very soon in his life, more pain more grief, more sadness, more sorrow, and he wondered why Jesus had let him down. Wasn't all of this supposed to go away the moment that I accepted Jesus? Wasn't all the sadness and the grief and the pain supposed to just vanish? Wasn't it supposed to be like uh, the OxyClean commercials when uh, you spread a little Jesus out over the wine spilled on your carpet and it's all magically presto, absorbed and dissolved and it's gone? Well, the Christian faith is not cheap gimmicks as many preachers can make it out to be. Covenant realities are far more difficult and challenging. Grief is real. Pain, sorrow, sadness are all realities of covenant life. The difference is hope and healing, which is the motto for congregational care here at Church of the Apostles. And if you were to spend any time with Rand Eberhard, he can tell you story after story uh, of how that works out in the life of the believer. Not a presto quick fix, but a patient, steady growth and, and, and work by God's grace. And that is where we are in our series in the Gospel in Genesis. We've been traversing with, uh, through the life of Abraham for 10 years now, it seems like. <laughs> and uh, here's this man who personifies that characteristic, a patient, steady growth and work by God's grace. And today we are looking at the faithfulness of God, just as Lauren set up that last song, the faithfulness of God and covenant realities. The faithfulness of God and covenant realities. And we, in Genesis 23, we come across this very sad situation. A point of grief and sadness in the life of the patriarch. In verses 1 and 2, Sarah lived 127 years. 
These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. This is Abraham, the the patriarch, uh, the first Hebrew, the recipient of the promises of God. We have not known a day when Sarah was not by Abraham's side. When we meet him in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, he's already married to Sarah. We walked with them through their ups and their downs, through their, uh, their mistrust and their distrust, through their moments of faithfulness, through their moments of faithlessness. She's been with Abraham for 112 years in marriage, according to some traditions. So if the 25th wedding anniversary is silver, and the 50th is gold, and the 60th is diamonds... I don't know what the hundredth is. I asked Lindsay last night. She looked it up. There's not actually a a gift with this, but we looked up what's the most expensive element on the earth, and it is something called antimatter, and it is is valued at $62 trillion a gram. So, ladies, hold out. 112, you can do it. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what a wonderful story of God's faithfulness through his servants. And Sarah is the only woman whose lifespan is given to us in the book of Genesis. Rightfully so, right? Since her name is changed from Sarai to Sarah, for from her will come nations and kings of nations. She is, in a sense, the mother of the people of God under the headship of Abraham. But in these verses, what is it that we see? We see a man mourning and weeping over his wife. And the point here is that there is common sorrow for covenant people. There's common sorrow for people of the covenant. Common in terms of the loss of loved ones. Most of us in this room have experienced the loss of a loved one. Some in common ways, like Abraham, due to old age, Some in uncommon ways, like the loss of a child or the loss of a spouse at an early age. Charles Hodge, the great Princeton theologian from the 1800s, his parents in the early, uh, sorry, in the late 1700s, they uh, lost their first child, a daughter, at the age of two or three. She died of yellow fever. They later had two more children, a girl and a boy. And Mrs. Hodge had gone on a trip when her children were young. She went up to Boston to visit some family. And then she got word while she was visiting family in Boston that her daughter had contracted the measles. And in her transit back home to be with her child, her daughter passed And their son had also contracted measles in that time period and was in the process of dying. Three children had died, and they were a childless couple again. And they had two more sons, Hugh and Charles, who would later become 
the theologian. And when Charles was six months old, Mrs. Hodge's husband died. And here she was, a widow bereaved of three children and a husband. She faced life ahead with an infant and a toddler. This is the common sorrow of covenant people. You may be God's special people, but you will go through common sorrows. I don't say that to be flippant. I don't say that to make anything less of life, but this is the reality that we face. The point being that there is no special protection or preservation in this area for the covenant people of God. This is a common affliction with being human. We are temporal in our physical bodies. We feel sorrow and loss of our loved ones who have those who have even already departed us. And it may ease with time, but in many ways we never fully forget. And that pain never fully goes away. And that leads us to our next point in this account of Abraham and the death of Sarah, which is a confession of pilgrim's status. Pilgrim's status, verses 3 through 6. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. That is true. Abraham is from Ur of the Chaldeans, right? God's the one that brought him into the land of Canaan. Canaan is a totally foreign land to him. Even though he's been there for quite a number of years, he's still a foreigner. And that is what we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. That Abraham and Sarah and Abel and Noah, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, not just in the land that they lived in, but on the earth. And what is true of Abraham is true of all of God's people, or it ought to be. We are but strangers and and foreigners in that this entire world is not our ultimate home our ultimate residence. This theme is picked up throughout Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, God is giving laws about the holy land. He's talking about the the properties can't be sold in perpetuity. And he says, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Then David in Psalm 39, verse 12, impressed with the fragility of his own life, he says, Teach me how fleeting my life is. Surely all mankind is but a breath. For I am a sojourner with you, a stranger like all my fathers. Same words. Stranger, sojourner. 
And then we come to the New Testament and we hear Peter say this in his epistle. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11 through to uh, chapter 3, verse 12 is this section of application that, that, that Peter is trying to get across to these people. And he begins that entire application section by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is the position God's people are called to take. We are to look on ourselves with this pilgrim's status. And though we are not to disengage from this age, there is a certain detachment that we are to have. Even if you have wealth like Abraham, there is an attitude we have where we say to ourselves, I am a sojourner. I am a stranger in this land. And sometimes it is grief and it is sorrow and it is sadness that brings that home to us. How many of us have experienced loss of a loved one and had that reminder that this is not our ultimate home and we've had that driven into our minds that death itself has actually been a corrective but but also a, a comforting reorientation that we can so easily get our eyes off of what are ultimate things that we can so easily place our primary focus on settling and being at home on this earth, that we find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in our possessions, our wealth, uh, people, jobs, only to face the reality of the temporal nature of these things. And it acts as this abrupt reminder to us of what it is that we are to value most in life. I remember in college, there was a group of us watching a football game, and we had just lost a, a real heartbreaker, and everybody was either sad or angry or both. There's a lot of emotions happening in the room. It's a very strange place. Uh, but then one of our friends got a phone call, and they said, your, your mother's been in a car accident, and, and she's in very serious condition. And then it was as if there were no football game earlier on. The, 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 the care for the game was less than zero. No, nobody was thinking about that. Nobody was worried about that. Because reality had set in for us. Things that, that were of real value. We can make so much of certain things that are not really of major importance and live our lives as if, as if they were life and death uh, issues, often these concerns come up when we begin to overly entangle ourselves with the things of this world. When we begin again to see this as the ultimate home that we have, and sometimes it is death and sometimes it is loss that reorientates our perspective on our pilgrim status in this world. There's a third point for us this morning, and that is a sign of God's faithfulness, verses 7 through 20. 
a sign of God's faithfulness. And we'll focus particularly on the last verses, but we need to see the whole flow of this section. And you can miss the whole point of Genesis 23 because you can be so sidetracked by this Middle Eastern negotiation process that's taking place here. And I can testify as someone who has partaken and witnessed a Middle Eastern negotiation taking place, it is quite mesmerizing. (laughs) Everyone looks like they're being so kind, like they're relatives. Oh, brother, please, please, oh, I want you to have this. I insist, when really behind all the smiles and the niceness is, I'm going to get a deal out of this. Uh, And that's going both ways. That's what we have going on here. Abraham asks for a place to bury Sarah. Now, in this culture, that's a big deal. Why? Because a sojourner and a foreigner would typically bury their dead with their ancestors, right? They would return to their family burial grounds and be buried with their families in their home country, but Abraham doesn't do that. No, he's staying where God has called him, beginning a new tradition, a new land, a new home in the land that God provided and has called him to. Well, the Hittites are happy to oblige. They tell Abraham that the, of his reputation amongst them, which we've seen earlier in previous chapters in Genesis when we think of uh, Abimelech. You're a prince of God, or, or, or you're a mighty prince. They've seen God's hand of blessing on him. And they say to him, you pick the best of our tombs. None of us will keep it from you. I mean, just like, are there better tombs than others? I just, this thought just came to me. Like, this one's a little dirty. It's a little misshapen. You know, I need it square. <clears throat> But let's be honest here, they're, they're obviously aware of Abraham's wealth and blessing, and, and they are most definitely looking for a deal here. So let's not be fooled. So then Abraham shows this great honor in response to their graciousness. He, he, he bows before them, and then he says, uh, Entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give to me the cave of Machpelah, uh, which he owns." He obviously doesn't mean give it to me for free. He says, I'll pay the full price. In other words, Abraham is a terrible negotiator. Uh, Where's the haggling? Nah, I'll just pay full price. Well, they either go to the city gate or they bring Ephron to the city gate or he's already there uh, to negotiate with Abraham, which shows us that this is a legal transaction. I think there's some intention here to show you that there's a lot. They're going over the top to say this wasn't falsified. This isn't fake. This is real. We'll get to why that's important in a minute. And Ephron says, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I give you the field. Which again, it doesn't mean I am generous and you can have it. Uh, rather, it means, no, you can't just buy the cave You have to buy the whole field in order to get the cave. You see, tricky Middle Eastern shenanigans. Been going on for a long time. Uh, Lindsay and I got engaged in Paris, and um, right after I proposed, a young man came up, and um, he made a little bracelet for her. 
And uh, I said, no, no, thank you. No, no, go away, please. We're just trying to have a moment here. And he says, uh, he just starts tying it on her wrist. And um, he says, no, 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 this is okay. It's a gift. And I said, well, thank you. Uh, you know, we just got engaged. He says, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, can you pay me, please? Um, to which I responded, I don't quite think you understand the definition of the word gift, uh, what that means, because you have given that as a gift, and I'm not going to pay you for it now. And that was not his interpretation of what a gift was. So Ephron tells Abraham, you need to buy the field in order to get the cave. And Abraham agrees and says, I'll pay the full price, verse 13. And Abraham in verse 15 says, price? <laughs> Who said anything about a price? I didn't say a price, but what's 400 shekels between you and me? <laughs> Crafty Ephron. Oh, by the way, 400 shekels of silver is a ridiculous price. It is a ridiculous price. Centuries from now, uh, Jeremiah will buy a field for 17 shekels. This is so exorbitant. But Abraham pays the man. But here's the thing. That story is either so boring or so exciting that you will have entirely missed the point of this section. If you notice the beginning and the end of this chapter, there is this reference where all of this takes place in verse 2 and in verse 19. Hebron in the land of Canaan. There's intentionality in putting that at the front and at the end. It draws our minds back to chapter 12 of Genesis, where we meet Abraham. And in verse 5, it says, Abram, Sarai, Lot came to Canaan. And in verses 6 and 7, Yahweh says, To your seed I will give this land. He had no seed. He had no land. Chapter 21, he has a seed now. He has Isaac. But where's the land? And in chapter 23, repeated four times, this word possession or property is given in verse 4, verse 9, verse 18, and verse 20. What is it? That's what Abraham gets as a result of this deal. Now, you put all of that together, the promise of a seed, the promise of land, and you see the importance of this kind of strange chapter in Genesis. The promise of God to Abraham is beginning to be fulfilled. So what does that teach us? For one, God doesn't lay all of his cards out on the table and show you everything. He's made promises to, to Abraham and Sarah, a seed as vast as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, and a land. And what did they see in their lifetime? One child and one field with a cave, with a tomb. And Sarah doesn't even see that. If we go back to Hebrews 11, after the writer has described the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah, it says in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, 
as strangers and exiles on the earth, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So if Abraham and Sarah wanted a homeland on the earth, they could have just gone back to Ur of the Chaldeans and been buried there. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you see what's happening here? It's not the land that they desire. It's not even the promised land that they desire. Yes, they want a land for their lineage and and a safe place for their descendants. But by the way, those descendants are going to totally mess all of that up anyway. Uh, God will fulfill the land promise. There will even be a temple in the middle of Jerusalem where Yahweh can be worshipped. And you know what? They're going to mess that one up too. Because those things are only shadows. Shadows. They are shadows of the greater reality. And the greater reality is that there is a land that is better than the dirt that was promised. Look with me, if you will. Please open your Bibles. We've been in Hebrews 11. I want you to just look one more time with me. Hebrews 11, 32. 1196, if you've got your pew Bible. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The greater promise of a seed to crush the head of the serpent is also coming. And he, Jesus, tells the Hebrew people of his day that the temple will be destroyed. He also tells them that they will destroy this temple and in three days he will raise it. And that temple was his body. 
So we can study and read Genesis chapter 23 and see how that picture comes together for the nation of Israel, the land and the seed promise. But we need to pull a little bit further out to see its application for us. And the application to us is that we do not have a physical land that needs to be established. We, we have a true New Testament hope in the land not built with human hands. And the seed is all those who believe and put their trust in Jesus Christ. So that when we as covenant people experience common sorrow, when death comes... When sadness comes, what are we reminded of? That we are pilgrims on this journey. That heaven is our home, but more than that, that Christ is our hope. If you were to walk, if you were to take away, if you were to take away Abraham's faith and Abraham's God in Genesis chapter 23, you would be left with a very sad and pathetic picture of a lost man with nothing to show. You would feel sorry for him. And you know what? There may be times in our lives where things might look like that externally. But what we do have sets us apart. We have the promise. We have the Son. We have the Spirit. We have the Father. So we gather together Sunday after Sunday. Not to say, look at all the good things that we have. Land, freedom, material possessions. But to say, we have Christ. And we can now run the race with endurance. With our eyes set on Him with a cloud of witnesses, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, all of them, knowing that he is faithful, no matter what it looks like. So our young man at the beginning was sold a bill of goods, promising everything would be peaceful and joyful all the time, hidden from sorrow, hidden from pain, hidden from sadness. Abraham's life shows us that that is just, that's not true. But the reality is that we can have peace and joy even in the midst of the sorrow and the sadness and the loss and even death because Jesus changes everything. Let us pray. Father, I can't help but think of the song we sang right before. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. And I can't help but think the possibility that, that Satan could have planted a seed of thought in Abraham's mind. He's promised you a seed that will outnumber the stars and the sand, and you have one son. And he's promised you this land as far as your eye can see, and all you have is a field to show for it. How devastating that could feel. 
And yet, as we've read in Hebrews, they greeted the promises from afar, seeing the reality. Jesus himself said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And so, Father, when things may look terrible, when sorrow sets in, when grief grips us, help us to remember the promises of a home in heaven with you, gathered around the sun in worship, that we are pilgrims in this land destined for better things because of Christ and in Christ. And in all these things we say, amen.